Hello, and welcome to Brimming It Up, where the strange, unusual, and true crime collide. Here, I share stories. I am Grimmama, and in today's episode, I'm going to be sharing about our visit to a cemetery. And this cemetery also has an urban legend attached to it that one of the residents may or may not have been an outlaw. Let's get into it, shall we? New Hope Church and Cemetery. The New Hope Church and Cemetery are located on County Road 295, just over a mile and a half north of Highway 96, and just east of the town of Wetmore, and it is open year-round. Some of the church and cemetery's early history, according to the history handed down to the descendants of the original Hartscrapple Park, New Hope Church was built as a community house of worship by all the people in the community at the time, and it Initial meeting took place on May 13, 1871, at the schoolhouse near Ira Porter's home in Hartscrabble Park. The purpose of this meeting was to organize the creation of the Baptist Church. The Articles of Incorporation were drafted by Stephen J. Tanner, Ira R. Porter, and William R. Crouch, and were filed on September 11, 1873. This makes the church 149 years old as of 2022 and it is the second oldest Baptist church in the state of Colorado. Ira Porter donated two acres of land, and the church was built by the congregation. Construction was completed in 1873. The wood frame was assembled by mortise, joints, and wooden pegs. No nails were used in the construction. The floor joists were hand-hewn lodge poles and pine logs with tongue and groove assembly. Square nails were used to attach the roof and siding originally. The pulpit and the pews were handmade by the members as well. Vinyl siding was put on in the early 1980s to help preserve the structure. It wasn't until November 1873 that the members voted to lay out the ground for the cemetery. However, burials were already made there at least three years prior. At the time, burials were free because the neighbors and friends hand-dug the graves. The earliest known grave is of Jason P. Vaughn, born November 24, 1869, and he passed away on February 7, 1870. He was only two months old and 13 days. Oh, those poor, poor parents. Records were not kept of those buried in the cemetery initially. However, a record book was compiled by the late Dorothy Brees, who used old newspaper articles and obituaries in her research. Some graves are listed as unmarked, but they have a rock or a wooden cross or something to identify their specific site. Several of these sites have been identified by relatives, and now metal markers have been put on these graves. There are many handmade markers, some with just a rock set as the headstone and nothing more. Others are cement markers or limestone that are now very hard to decipher due to erosion. There are still many graves that may never be identified, but at least the names of all those people who have been buried here at New Hope are now listed in a record book. Besides the unknown markers, there is one little girl with the same name and dates of birth and death who has two different headstones in two different areas of the cemetery. And there's another headstone that reads Hammett, Yet the newspaper said he was buried on J.W. Bowers' ranch. I'm not sure where he's really buried. 
Today, there are 626 known burials in the cemetery. Of those, 80 are veterans who served in the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II, the Korean conflict, and the Vietnam War. Now, let's get into talking a little bit about some of the residents and their lives. Ira Ryan Porter was born 1838 and he passed in 1921. And Sarah Kelly Porter was born in 1844 and she passed in 1901. Ira and Sarah Kelly were married in 1862, and they had seven children. Ira was a farmer, but he freighted for about four years before he started farming. He then bought a ranch in Hart's Gravel Creek. He began his life there. Sarah and Ira donated the land for New Hope Church and Cemetery. He was one of the original trustees of the New Hope Church and Cemetery. Ira and Sarah are both buried at New Hope. Sarah Parker Betts was born in 1847 and she passed in 1911. And Jacob Alexander Betts was born in 1830 and he passed in 1909. Jacob Betts came to Colorado in 1859 and he went into the cattle business with William Parker. He later sold his Red Creek Ranch and moved to Wetmore where he continued raising cattle. Jacob married Sarah Parker in 1866, and they had nine children. They had homesteaded in Wetmore, and their house is still standing today. This next gentleman, his name is very hard for me to enunciate, so I'm going to say it the first time, and thereafter I'm just going to refer to him by his last name, because I don't want to disrespect the family and I'm very self-conscious about mispronouncing names, so just so that you're aware. Horatio Hall Shivington Brees was born in 1834, and he passed in 1897. Emma W. Brees Netherly was born in 1856, and she passed in 1910. Sometime in 1869, Mr. Brees came to the Hearts Gravel area. He was one of the first seven pioneers to settle in what is now known as Trinity Ranch. Emma and Mr. Brees married in 1872, and together they raised eight children. All of them were born in a one-and-a-half-story, three-room log house that also had an addition. This house is still standing today as well. Mr. Brees put in the first irrigation ditches to utilize the water of the Four Mile Creek. He was the first to plant an orchard in the Wetmore area. He also produced strawberries and raspberries and wagon loads of vegetables, and he sold his produce in places like Pueblo, Silvercliff, Westcliff, Florence, Canyon City, and as far northwest as Leadville. By occupation, Mr. Brees had been an engineer and a machinist before turning to farming. He became quite adept at grafting trees. He had an apple tree with several varieties of apples on one tree. Mr. Brees died in his home in 1897 at the age of 63. Emma later remarried in 1902 and outlived her second husband as well. She sold the ranch in 1908 and moved to Greenwood to be closer to her youngest son. She passed away in 1910 
at the age of 54. Now, y'all, I just got to take a minute. Some of these pioneers were just plain amazing. Their hard work, their ingenuity can be mind-boggling. And like Mr. Brees is a good example. Wetmore does get a bit more rain than other parts of the high desert climate of Colorado, but to actually reroute and, and make those irrigation ditches so that water was accessible, and then how far he traveled to sell his produce, and that was before cars. Y'all, that was horse and buggy days. It's just, it's just amazing. Sorry, I'll get back to the stories and stop my commenting. Our next a couple that we're going to talk about briefly is Mary Jane Scott Royster. She was born in 1827 and she passed in 1898. And Charles Royster, who was born in 1820 and he passed in 1905. Mary and Charles started their family in Indiana. Then they moved to Iowa. And in 1880, they moved to Custer County. And in 1888, they homesteaded 160 acres in Greenwood, Colorado. They had 10 children and farmed the land. And Mary, after Mary's death, Charles sold the homestead to Eben Snow, and Charles died in Greenwood in 1905. Eben A. Snow was born in 1851, and he passed in 1920. And Margaret E. Webb Adams Snow was born in 1851 and passed in 1934. In 1879, Evan and Margaret were married. And after living in Maine and various parts of Colorado, such as Kadera, Rosita, Gardner, and they later moved to Greenwood in 1899 and bought Charles Royster's homestead. Then, in 1911, Evan got an additional 80 acres in Greenwood. That meant they were now managing 240 acres. The couple raised their children, Margie, Robert, and Nettie, and the children also helped in raising Hamilton horses, which is a breed of American trotting horse. Evans sold and traded horses as well as being a blacksmith and a constable for Custer County. Their children, Margie, who was born in 1882 and passed in 1906, and Robert, was born in 1886 and passed in 1934, who are also buried here at New Hope Cemetery. Now, here's where that urban legend I was telling y'all about comes in. We're going to call him the Wetmore Mystery Man. James Sears was a loner who never spoke much and kept to himself. Many stories have circulated in the Wetmore area concerning this man. It is believed that he may have been Jesse James. Ola Everhard says she is Jesse James's third cousin. She says that his death had been fake and that Missouri Governor Thomas Credenden and Bob Ford were in on it and also that Bob Ford actually shot Charles Bigelow, another outlaw who resembled Jesse James. And in return for Ford's part in the scam, he was set up in the saloon business in Creek, Colorado. Another man named J. Frank Dalton, on May 19, 1948, at the age of 100, he declared that he was Jesse James. And his story was good. 
he did agree with Miss Everhart about the fake death and that the governor was in on it and Charles Bigelow being shot by Bob Ford and Ford being set up in the saloon business. Now, y'all need to know, though, as a teenager, Jesse James accidentally shot off the tip of his left middle finger while he was cleaning his gun. Dalton had all of his digits, so there's no way he was actually Jesse James. Now let's get back to some of the lore of James Sears being Jesse James. James Sears arrived in Florence in 1895, where he met Bill White Jr. at the railroad depot, and then he demanded to be taken to the lumber camps. He did not want to be in town. Bill White was about the only one that Sears talked to and trusted through the years. Anthony Madonna knew Sears because he had bought support timbers from Sears for his coal mine. Anthony described Sears as an elderly gentleman who looked well-preserved for his age. He always wore a heavy beard, and he kept his hat pulled down close to his glasses, and he never took off his hat or his glasses or his gloves when he was in public. White went on to tell Madonna that Sears had once said to him, Kid, someday I'm going to tell you something. Louis Draper, a longtime resident of the Wetmore area, remembers that Sears had good horses and always took care of them. For years, he kept an old horse that was pretty much worthless due to its age. It couldn't work anymore. And when he was asked why he had not sold or killed this horse, James would give no reason. Now, sometime later, on Sears' deathbed, he told Bill White, I kept old Twister because my horse back in Missouri was called Twist, and that horse got me out of more scrapes than I can count. Twister looked just like Twist, and I couldn't part with him. It's believed that the real Jesse James's horse was named Twist coincidence? I don't know. Draper was a friend of Fred Walters, the postmaster in Wetmore. Fred told Draper that he met a man by the name of Frank James in Wetmore. Frank was part of a Vaudreville troop that was traveling in the Salida area at the time. Now, if you're not familiar with a Vaudreville troop, this was when Frank James was traveling with Wild Bill Hickok and they were doing their traveling shows about fancy shooting and all that jazz. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. But meanwhile, back to James Sears. For a time, Sears lived in a room at the Greenwood Hotel. Lewis Draper shared some of his memories about Sears. He came to my great-grandma Snow's house often, as she did his washing for him. He would sit at the barn door and watch the chickens, but he would never come into the house. James loved to read and borrow books from Grandma Breeze. Aunt Margaret remembers when she was in first grade and going to school in Greenwood, across the road from Great Grandma Snow's house, all the kids were scared to death of Sears and would run past the hotel. Some of the schoolboys made a game of jumping on to the back of Sears' wagon as he returned from his deliveries. The boys were afraid of Sears' mysterious character, so that made it a daring game. At the time of his death, he was living in a dugout up the road behind Old Harm's place. James Sears had pneumonia and wouldn't let anybody rub him down, but he was too weak and sick to argue with Mr. Harm's. Mr. Harm's reported later that his body was covered in scars from bullet wounds 
Sears told Bill White at his bedside in St. Thomas More Hospital in Canyon City of his true identity and that he was Jesse James and he didn't want anyone to know until after he had died. Sears died in 1931 from the Florence Daily Citizen obituary, July 2nd, 1931. Aged recluse died on Wednesday in Canyon City, James Sears, 74, of North Hearts Gravel, and an old-time resident of the district. Died at a Canyon City hospital at 9 Wednesday evening. Sears lived in the Wetmore district for about 25 years and was always re recluse. Little is known about him, and as far as is known, he has no living relatives. Several weeks ago, he suffered a paralytic stroke at his home and was brought to the Canyon City Hospital, but his health soon failed rapidly, and he died last night. The body is being cared for at the Eastern Mortuary. Funeral services will be held at the Wetmore Church with Reverend J. R. Birchfield officiating Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. The burial will be at the New Hope Cemetery in Wetmore. After the burial, people reported seeing lights at the cemetery one night, and it is believed that James Sears' body had been dug up and returned to Missouri for his family. Another reported incident is that the officials from Denver dug up his body and reburied it after taking pictures. Supposedly, Mr. Holt from the mortuary in Florence was in on this, as he found papers that led many to believe that the body was truly that of the real Jesse James. Another side note, in March of 2016, the caretaker of the New Hope Cemetery, Peggy Martin, had a grave dowser, Tom Manco, from Canyon City, go to the cemetery to check the grave marked as James Sears, and according to Manco, there is no body. That grave is empty. Which would mean this mystery continues. I will try to get my hands back on the articles where Mr. White was reporting to the Florence Citizen the accounts of James Sears' rendition of his story. It is a pretty long read for newspaper articles for back in the day. Come on, think about it. It's 1931. This would have been a version of entertainment for folks. And they, so they did a week-long story series kind of on this subject. So when I get those, I'll probably do a, another recording and add those there. But that brings us to some comments about this whole thing. You know, stories, urban legends like this James Sears, even if there isn't a lick of truth to it, they're still pretty entertaining. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't harm anyone. So I think it's all in good fun. But I remember seeing a YouTube video of an episode that was on TV or cable or something like that, where theme of the show was about proving or disproving that Jesse James was actually buried in Texas. And so they found the body, they dug it up, and supposedly there was DNA testing that at last proves, quote-unquote, that Jesse James is actually buried in Texas. Now, I can't remember the name of that show, so I'm sorry, y'all. Sometimes disease is a real thing for me. But 
you get the idea. I mean, we, as Americans, I think we're kind of fascinated with the Wild West. And it's kind of neat to think that there might have been an outlaw just hiding out. And what are the chances of the postmaster meeting Jesse James's brother? You know, that at the time that he would have been here in Salida, I don't know. Does it lend credence or is it just part of making the lore that much more intriguing? I don't know. Storytelling was a different thing back in those days. And sometimes I just want to enjoy the entertainment value and not dissect it like I do so many other things. But I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We will be trying to bring you some more uh, things like this and with a special focus on Colorado history, since that's where I'm located and I have the best access to old newspapers and things like that. But that's not to say we're not going to continue with finding urban legends around other parts of the country as well, because in some of our travels and things that we've done in our lives, speaking of myself and my husband, uh, we've been to a few places that got some stories, y'all. Some of those are just wow it's all in good fun i guess we better work on wrapping this up so a couple things i want you to be aware of in case you do travel to the new hope cemetery and church the church is generally kept locked up but occasionally it is used for weddings and so you might find it open on those occasions the other thing is if you visit during the warmer months you might want to bring a long stick or hoe or something because rattlesnakes are common in the area, so keep a watchful eye. And lastly, please be respectful should you visit. We will have all of our sources listed in our show notes and on our blog post about this visit, along with all of our pictures that we took during our visit, included in our sources will be a blog post that I found that is specific to J. Frank Dalton. It makes for a fun read, even if he was disproven from being Jesse James. I want to thank you for spending time with us today, and I hope that you'll join us for our next episode. And if you could, please like and share our podcast and help us to grow. We're also very active on our social medias, and we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all of them as Grimming It Up, squished together in one word. Our website is www.grimmingitup.org. Again, thank you for spending time with us today. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Mm-hmm.